Coming up on This Week in Games, Amazon announces a Lord of the Rings MMO, G2A makes absurd rebuttals to their critics, and RuneScape's developers worth $530 million. Wait, what? Coming up This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and it was another exciting week in the game industry. We had drama, we had business news, we had gossip, and I'm here to bring it all to you in a 20-minute podcast. So kicking it off, G2A responds to the recent controversy and, you know, a course comes off as lacking self-awareness and other positive aspects that a business wants to have. (laughs) So G2A claims their keys are almost solely coming from reviews and bundles, and the claim of credit card fraud sourcing their keys represents a small fraction of their inventory. Very likely untrue, and even if it was true, um, still not great. (laughs) You're creating a marketplace where developers are giving reviewers keys for free, to review their game and hopefully get some kind of exposure and the reviewers aren't redeeming those keys and instead selling them to g2a for dollars but uh, all right g2a wants to create a key blocking tool where developers submit keys they know were obtained illegitimately to not be eligible for sell on g2a however G2A doesn't actually think developers want this and require 100 developers to sign a petition that G2A has put up. This is another, like, uh, complete lacking of self-awareness. G2A will also be very selective as who they deem a developer or a publisher because very likely don't want to hit that 100 developer requirement. And, you know, since it's a petition controlled by them, we'll never actually know if it was or wasn't hit. So G2A... At this point, we have to assume they're 100% self-aware of how situations where they receive 90-plus keys for a small-scale indie game at once. And, like, how do you do that? You're you're a second-hand marketplace. There's a brand-new indie game that just came out. You get 90-plus keys for it. It's an indie game that hasn't even sold 90 copies yet, you know? What are you asking yourself when that happens? At the end of the day, they don't want to operate on margins that a legitimate secondhand market, you know, would have to operate on. And I think this statement from G2A kind of says it all. So, quote, many developers would like to permanently remove their games from free marketplaces. While we understand their point of view, it's not a black or white situation. Both sides have valid points and should respect each other's arguments. Okay, I have to cut it off there. So, yes, many developers want to ban their games from being sold on G2A. I would say almost all developers would probably want to ban their games from being sold on G2A because, A, it hurts the perceived value of their game when it's being sold for 30 to 70% off. B, G2A pretty much only sells either games from review copies, bundles, or, of course, credit card fraud. And C, uh, G2A wants to have their valid points respected and their valid points are they should buy brand new games for two dollars not care about where the game came from and then sell it for fifteen dollars when the actual cost of the game is being sold for thirty dollars so that's rough all right quote g2a like any other marketplace in the world is to assure that independent sellers can offer the products they own for others to buy well no that's not what g2a is about 
This results in lower prices on games, electronics, gadgets, and everything else gamer needs, and this is what we're all about. Yeah, so when they say independent sellers there, they don't actually mean the game developers or game publishers. They mean independent sellers as in people who somehow acquired a product and need a place to dump it. And if you're still wondering whether you're on the fence about this, just ask yourself, like, could you imagine Game... Now, GameStop has a history of shady uh, practices, but could you imagine GameStop, like, allowing known kind of, like, I don't know, thieves or people and, like the mafia to just dump shipments and boxes of games on them and go, I don't know how this like crate of Call of Duty showed up, but we're paying $1 per game and we're going to sell it for $60. So Activision, you can go away because you want us to pay $30 per copy of Call of Duty. And somehow we've acquired all of our copies for $1 from this one person who, you know, you claim stole a crate, but we don't know where it came from. So we're just going to sell it anyway. So Yes, G2A, it's a black and white issue. <laughs> yes, you are allowing criminals to dump their stolen goods for pennies on the dollar. And then, yes, you also undercut legitimate stores by taking 30 to 70% off whatever they're selling. So people just don't use G2A. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. All right, next up. China flexes on Taiwanese developer Red Candle Games and revokes its game license for imagery that mocks the government. So pretty funny story. <laughs> Red Candle Games has a title called Devotion, and it features artwork that mocks Chinese president for life, Xi Jinping, as a Winnie the Pooh character, Winnie the Pooh, and calls him a moron. Xi Jinping famously hates being compared to Winnie the Pooh, hates it so much that it kind of created this famous segment on John Oliver's Last Week Tonight where they just ranted and you know further compared Xi Jinping to Winnie the Pooh. Actually, in China, there's a play on words where they use the characters to spell Xi Jinping and Winnie the Pooh to kind of mock Xi Jinping's name using Winnie the Pooh. And since 2017, using that set of characters in that way is actually banned in China. It's against the law. You can't even do that. It would be like us saying, instead of Donald Trump, like, let's say you just said Donald Dump, and like, that was a joke. And Donald Trump going, you know what? Anyone who uses Donald Dump, <laughs> that's my name, like, uh, that's against the law, and uh, we can fine you or throw you in jail. That's how ridiculous this is. But I guess it shows the Chinese government does not play with these game licenses, and I doubt Red Candle Games will ever be granted another games license in China, and I have to respect the indie developer for that, willing to mock the head government figure of likely their major marketplace. I mean... I got to give props, however, for business <laughs> decisions, probably not the best idea. All right, next up, Amazon Game Studios officially announces a partnership with Leiu Technologies publishing label Athlon Games for an upcoming Lord of the Rings MMO. Wow. You know, <laughs> Amazon's Game Studios is like the game studios that keep on keeping on despite, I don't know, producing anything. So... They announced their next project, uh, Lord of the Rings MMORPG. Uh, a few years ago, and by few, I mean like six years ago, I heard that Amazon had some game studios. One is the esports and Lumberyard-focused studio in Irvine. They had a studio in Seattle trying to make an MMORPG with Lumberyard. And then they had, more recently, a mobile-focused studio in San Diego that is basically John Smedley's Pixel Mage got bought out by Amazon and they just renamed it Amazon Game Studios. 
So we know what happened with the esports game in Irvine. It was called Breakaway. It was canceled out of Alpha because they Twitch streamed gameplay from Alpha. And, you know, I, I would stress to find any positive comments from that Twitch stream. It was a pretty lackluster and boring game and probably the best idea to cancel it. Now, after what seems like 10 years in operations, Amazon Game Studios announces their next big AAA attempt, and it's an MMO that I thought was being developed in Seattle, but now is being head up by the Irvine Studio. I don't know. I I just, it's, so I think officially Amazon Game Studios has existed, what, since 2012? But unofficially, they've been kind of in existence since 2009. And after 10 years, you still haven't delivered one AAA game that you claimed. And after all the talent that has cycled through, still not really much to show, but a bunch of tiny, like, commodity games that were off your field, kind of like Fire Stick game controller situation. If you guys remember a while ago, they were launched, they la- Amazon launched Fire TVs that had game controllers and kind of a set of games by indie darlings on those. Now, I fully expect Amazon Game Studios to be a business school case study in the future on operations processes and how I'll never deliver a AAA game. And hopefully other tech giants looking to get into games can take note of how Amazon, you know, failed to capture the market and failed to deliver what they promised. Now, the most interesting call out of all of this is Microsoft, because (laughs) Five years ago, you would think Amazon is this thrifty, intelligent, strategic, like, you know, ninja precision targeting markets and operating on these margins and processes that no one else can do and just taking over markets, you know, books, then CDs and DVDs, and then now everything. And you look at Microsoft, you know, before the Azure rise to dominance, you look at Microsoft as a slow behemoth that can't innovate or change or do anything. And like, look at this. Like, Amazon can't deliver a single thing. They have nothing to show for all their gaming initiatives. And I'm talking about consumer gaming initiatives, not like AWS tools for developers. Consumer gaming initiatives, they have nothing. And Microsoft, the slow behemoth that people would likely think is, like, uninnovative, is effectively leading the entire game industry and, you know, making strategic choices that I think are setting them up to dominate for, like, easily the next five years, maybe 10 years. So it's just very interesting, you know? It's very interesting. All right, another kind of funny Cuphead story. So like the story about a month ago that Cuphead will now be available in Tesla dashboards for, like, you know, to be able to play one or two levels, Cuphead has signed on for Netflix for a major cartoon. So the IP that keeps on giving Cuphead has signed with Netflix and King Features Syndicate for a new show, King Feature Syndicate being part of the inspiration for Cuphead because they own comics such as Flash Gordon, Popeye, and Blondie. Pretty interesting. I'm curious to see who the target audience is because, you know, Cuphead being a very hardcore game and although not overtly being mature, coming off as like a more mature audience. I'm curious to see if they go like the full kid route. Is this going to be like a super kid show and Cuphead smiling and like teaching us about the power of friendship? Or is it going to be a more tongue-in-cheek adult show where Cuphead is like, you know, destroying, uh, I don't know, some kind of metaphor for life? Who knows? Like, I'm very curious. All right. This has to be my favorite story of the week, okay? Jagex, the developer behind RuneScape, is being reported to be for sale but denies the claims. Now, that... 
not really the exciting part. What What's exciting is about the details. Okay, so it was reported earlier this week that Fukong Interactive, the Chinese parent company that owns Jagex, is selling the RuneScape developer for $530 million. The Yikai Global, a Chinese publication, said the sale was in response to accruing debt by Fukong Interaction and would be a net solid ROI of $230 million given that Fukong paid $300 million for Jagex back in 2016. Jagex responded by saying the sale was not set in stone and was one of many possibilities being discussed to do um, Fukong in that company. So there are a few interesting facts. First is that Jagex grew by 75% over a little more than a two-year period with an 18-year-old MMORPG. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. Like, I don't even know how you do that. RuneScape came out in 2001. Like, think about that. Like, even Lineage 1, which is a game that I thought would never die in Korea, isn't, you know, powering on and having record growth years. Jagex and RuneScape have... Jagex is claiming that RuneScape is growing each year and has had record growth for the last five years and has never been stronger. And what this tells me that Jagex immediately denied the sell and that says that there's other possibilities. Jagex is liking, likely looking to raise the capital to take itself independent again. Because frankly, if you're the superstar who keeps on growing every year, why get traded to another parent company to benefit off of your success? Why not take it independent? Own your own success, own your own growth, and like kind of benefit off that. Second, it's just amazing that RuneScape's still growing. I mean, think about it. The game was like the bastard child of MMOs in the early 2000s. You had EverQuest. You had all these other polished MMOs that were made by companies with just piles of treasure being funded into them. And RuneScape was like this independent browser-only Java MMO that, frankly, had terrible graphics and <laughs> wasn't smooth or polished. And here we are in 2019. It's one of the only one of its peers still standing. You know, you have EverQuest. I don't know. It, can you even play EverQuest anymore? It's surely not making money. You have Asheron's Call. That's dead. You have Anarchy Online. That's dead. I mean, all of its other peers are either dead or out of commission. So everything from the late 90s and the early 2000s pre-WOW, like, this has to be the success story. So great job, Jagex. And, you know, RuneScape, keep on RuneScaping. All right, next up, freelance aggregator Fiverr has opened a game service section in their marketplace. So Fiverr is this giant freelance aggregator. I'm sure you've seen their, like, ads where... You know, hey, you can get anything done for $5, blah, 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 blah. Um, now has a dedicated game section where services range from Unreal and Unity development to setting up Discord bots, game coaching, voiceover, and even things like QA. Pretty much anything to do with games or game development. Fiverr gets criticized for depressing freelance wages. However, I must admit the icon for this podcast was created by a freelancer off of Fiverr, and I think I paid $50 for three different copies. I really like this one copy. I think the guy did an amazing job. Um, you know, <laughs> I'd like to shit on Fiverr, but here you are. I used them. It's an interesting concept. Like, on Fiverr, you can buy development for an entire game on there as a bundle, but... I'll say for most of these services, you get what you pay for. You want $10 worth of development assets, you're going to get $10 worth. You know, there's no shortcut for quality. There's no shortcut for, like, pure expression. And you're paying for super cheap commodity assets or services on Fiverr. 
and you got to think what is the person on the other side getting so for them to charge ten dollars for an asset that asset must be worth less than ten dollars to them okay so you're going to get ten dollars or less worth is what i'm saying there's no shortcut and think about this if Ask yourself if your peers who are topping the charts for your, the genre you're trying to compete in or the game development niche you want to enter, ask if your peers are using Fiverr for a professional game. Probably not, you know. So Fiverr has its place. I think one of the best use cases for Fiverr I can think of is if you have a game demo, you're trying to make those like VC pitches for Alpha, Angel, Series A, you know, any type of early funding you have everything in your pitch done, but you you might need some graphics, you might need some concept artists, you might want someone to quickly QA, um, you know, whatever your demo you're going to be presenting. Fiverr, that, that makes sense for Fiverr, you know. It's a place, quick and dirty work. Um, they work right away. It's cheap. You just need that last little bit that's going to push you over the edge, but this isn't going to be stuff you're going to sell as a published professional game representing, like, your talent. So that, to me... Fiverr makes sense. You going and buying a full game development suite from Fiverr probably doesn't make sense. So I don't know. It's up to you guys. <laughs> Next up, Rokit, a smartphone developer, has announced a $50 million game fund. So developers can raise up to $500,000 per game as either angel or stopgap funding through Rokit's fund. The fund is being managed by a former Activision EA and Ubisoft vet. This story is not very interesting, but what's very interesting really is how many active funds there are right now. It's crazy. So Apple has reported to be giving one to three million dollars per game. Epic is opening a hundred million dollar fund, and now we have Rokit opening a fifty million dollar fund. I think there's like ten other funds I could list off right now that are in the neighborhood of tens of millions of dollars and are giving anything from like fifty thousand dollars all the way up to millions of dollars per game. If you have a track record of executing and you have a game idea now it's the time for you to get it done and the best advice i can give to anyone thinking about using one of these funds is what is the value exchange you are looking for for return for funding and that is are you okay with getting two million dollars from apple if your game is locked up in perpetuity on an apple subscription service now are you willing to get whatever funding from unreal if you have to use unreal engine and your game is locked up for a year of exclusivity on unreal's digital store so these are what you need to decide before i recommend deciding this before you go looking at funds like sit down and think about it what are you willing to give out give away for funding because funding isn't free then read over the contracts that each fund offers with a lawyer because likely you won't understand all the nuances and figure out what the best funding source is for you and again like do you mind being exclusive to an apple subscription service do you care about lockups of exclusivity do you want to own your IP or not? And do you want to be limited to kind of Unity or Unreal tool sets? It's, it's another interesting fact to think about that even today, people report that it takes development studios their third game to break even or turn a slight profit and really their fourth game to turn a profit. So that's another way to think about these funds is like your brand new studio. You got 10 people. You guys are all working on a game. You can't secure funding for some reason or another, but you're too afraid to go to Apple because you're like, I have this darling game. I'm emotionally tied to this game. Um, I don't want it. 
I don't want to give up the IP. I don't want it exclusively on Apple's subscription service because I want everyone to be able to play it. Um, what you should really think about is a fund like that is giving you a chance to grow as a development studio while not taking financial risk. And so the fact that it takes many games for you to, you know, get all the bugs out of your processes and have everyone gel well as a studio, this is a better alternative than work for hire, which is what would previously happen. Like Disney would contract out you to make a Little Mermaid game or something. Like this is you getting paid to make a game that you want to make and are pitching and, you know, you're getting better as a studio. Then comes that third or fourth game. You don't get this funding anymore because you want to own the IP and you go make your hit game that's going to actually make money. So guys, now's the day for developers to seize the day and get funding and get out there. Like this is the age of developers right now and it's not going to last forever. So be positive, believe in yourself, go get that funding. <laughs> All right, last up, a new co-op focused developer, Vela Games, officially announces as a new studio. So I covered Vela Games Sometime last year, uh, when they raised $3.8 million, Vela Games officially plants its flag in Dublin and announces a 13-person studio that will focus on co-op experiences. Vela is comprised of vets from EA, Riot, and another uh, number of other uh, AAA studios and is planning to go publisher-less and stay independent. So I'm curious to see kind of what the talent in, of an indie game, AAA indie game studio in the heart of Ireland can do. Now, the other interesting thing about this is the number of ex-AAA vets that are starting indie studios that are focusing on co-op. And I'm assuming co-op doesn't mean I'm playing League of Legends and there's four other people on my team. I'm assuming co-op is like purely PvE, where you're a team of people fighting against a computer. So, I don't know. It's interesting because co-op has never been a big thing since arcades died. And I guess since like you know, early consoles like SNES or Nintendo 64, before like pre-internet co-op was a big thing, you know, like GoldenEye had a co-op mode that was probably played more than anything else. Um, but yeah, it's very strange to me. All these AAA developers are creating co-op focused studios. So I'm wondering if there's something I'm missing or if there's an opportunity in co-op that I'm not seeing. So you guys are uh, co-op fans, send me a message and break it down for me. I don't understand. All right, that's it for this week in games. I'm Eric McConnell. I'll see you guys next week. Until then, take care. Bye.